Hey, it has been a historic week in sports. Uh, you might recognize a couple of these pictures if you've been following things this week. In the upper side, we, uh, this week was included the longest tennis match in Wimbledon history. It was so long that you literally could have hopped on a plane from Minnesota, flown to England, got a night's sleep, had a nice meal, got up and still caught the end of the game. It went three days, three days. Uh, and the American guy won, so that was kind of fun. Um, and then this was a lot more powerful um, before yesterday afternoon. But <laughs> the the senior seeing there, some called it the most dramatic goal in uh, U.S. men's soccer history, um, with just minutes to go um, from elimination in the World Cup. Uh, Landon Donovan uh, went and scored a goal against Algeria, and the crowd went wild. And then came yesterday, and uh, I'm surprised I'm not seeing more black among the soccer fans wearing in mourning of what happened then. But anyway, it was, it was fun while it lasted. Uh, and then also I heard another historic thing happened with our, uh, in, with our own ECC men's softball team. Uh, it was the eighth inning, and, uh, and I think the score was tied, and Eric Stevens steps up to the plate. Is Eric with the kids today, or is he in here? Eighth inning heroics, he uh, got inside the park home run and lifted our ECC's men team to their second victory, which, that's right, in the Shoreview League here. And uh, I think that is the first time we ever had two wins from one of our our softball teams um, that didn't include a a, a forfeiture. So... (laughs) It has been a historic week in sports, and it has also been a historic week for our church. Uh, While all this was happening this week in the sports world, uh, quietly under the radar, uh, we became an official member of this thing called the the Covenant Covenant Church. Now, I'm not techie enough to to know my Twitters from my Twinkies, but um, I had my cell phone with me. And, uh, and, and while we were getting adopted, I, I, um, I, I was clicking some pictures. So pretend this is a Twitter feed that's actually coming to you um, in, in real time. But this was happening Friday morning. What was going on right here in the River Center in St. Paul, the Covenant Church was having their annual meeting. And as part of this annual meeting, they were uh, adopting in these new churches. So here's the room when, when I got there, a partial shot of the room. I mean, this is River Center, the, the main um, auditorium. This is just set up for the meeting. So there, there's what it was like when I got there. And then if you want to click to my next one, um, people are starting to come. They have all these delegates from all these different churches, and they come and are a part of this thing. So there's the people coming. And then what happened is they had us line up. And there's, you can see the front of the stage. Uh, that isn't even the first of the churches getting welcomed in. A couple of the churches had some people with them, but, but not too many. And so, um, so what happened is that it stretched. Yeah, leave it here for a second. It stretched across the front and then down the side. And, and then now we can click to the next one. So that's, that's the line, and now I'm getting closer to the, to the front of the line. And, uh, and now I'm, I'm almost up there. I'm right behind, that's Terrence Rollerson there. I'm right behind him. Up on the front there, that's uh, at the microphone, that's Mike Brown. What they did is, Mike Brown is um, in, uh, the director of church planting in our, in our conference. And what they would do is they would have somebody from the conference introduce these churches. So he's up there introducing the churches, um, and now I'm on deck with Terrence up there. Oh, can we back up one shot? <laughs> one shot. Um, up there at the front, again, that's Mike Brown at the, the podium. And then the guy behind him with the, the goatee, that's uh, the national director of, of church growth and evangelism. All right, so now I'm on deck. And then while Mike was introducing us, I'm like, I had guy getting shot. So I, uh, I did this when he wasn't looking. And then people laughed. And, and he said, what, 
just happened here. And, um, and then the next picture, it's even blurrier because they're clapping for us. Um, they officially voted us in. They did one chair at a time. They hit the gavel and people clapped and all said, or nobody said no, which was great. And then this is the last shot we got here. After all the churches were all done with it, um, the, uh, they gave a, a, a standing uh, ovation for us. It was kind of funny because there's still, our, our denomination started off as all Swedes and so they need to be told how to express emotion and things. And so the moderator even said, and now we will have a long and sustained applause for all the churches. And so, so that was good. So anyway, so that, that's a little play-by-play of, of what, happened, um, what happened just right, just Friday um, down at the, the River Center. If you didn't already, they also had all kinds of things with this event. And if you want to take a look at the, um, the Connection Center on the way out, there's some pictures, some slides from a festival that was yesterday and, and all kinds of stuff. So we're officially official. We're a member of the Evangelical Covenant Church. So ECC is officially a member of the ECC, which is very convenient for us, especially, except when we're trying to say who we are at the ECC. Well, for some of you, this is exciting news. Some of you who've been around here for a while or those who have been a part of the Covenant Church, it's exciting news. But um, today we're going to do a little different. Rather, we are going to be opening our Bibles today, but rather than studying a passage, <laughs> shocker, he's not, don't give, ever give me a surprise face when, we, when we're talking about opening the Bible. But anyway, what we're going to do today is we need to take a little bit of time to explain this because although some people have, have heard of this covenant thing before, most of us, most of us in this room are, are thinking, you know, cover what? What is this thing? In fact, let's just do a little show of hands. How many of you have ever attended a covenant church before coming to Emmanuel Covenant? Oh, that many of you did before? Before ours? Wow, okay. How many of you never did before coming to ECC? How many of you never attended a covenant church before us? Yeah, that's my story. I, my wife and I, we had never gone to a covenant worship service in a covenant church before our first service as a covenant church. And so there's a, there's, there's a bunch of us that don't know anything about this thing. Um, and some of you maybe just went to a covenant and didn't know what it was. So we're going to take a little bit of time talking about it. But, but here are the questions that I want to address. Because again, I don't want this just to be informational for informational sake. I don't think that's got a God-honoring way to invest in worship service. But here are the two questions that I want to address today. Um, why are we joining a specific denomination? And why did we enter into a covenant with the covenant? Why, why are we doing this? Is there any biblical basis? Is there any, any, um, any rationale that's, that's more than just finding something to do? Um, or finding something to affiliate with. And for some of you, this would be really helpful because as you try to explain this thing to your friends and they're all looking at you like, what is this cult that you're joining? You know, you're able to have a little bit more information. But again, more importantly than just information dispensation, at a minimum, I hope you come away with a a deep conviction that what we did uh, Friday was a God-honoring thing to do. It was a God-honoring thing to do. And secondly, I hope you uh, come away with a deeper appreciation that entering into a covenant with these specific Folks, is, I hope you have a deeper appreciation for that, that this is uh, an amazing group of brothers and sisters to enter into a covenant with. Okay, well, let's start with that question number one on the screen, so why are we joining a specific denomination? And what I want to do before jumping into that, the way I want to kind of address it is first put out some disclaimers. So if we can put up a couple disclaimers on the screen. Um, well, actually, do we have one that says denominations aren't promoted in the Bible? There we go. Um, for the record denominations are not promoted in the Bible. Our primary identity as Christians is what? Christian. I'll say that again. Our primary um, identification, our primary identity as Christians is Christians, not a particular brand. That is our primary identity. 
Secondly, denominations are a result of the fall. They're a result of sin combined with our limited ability to grasp the greatness of God. We don't have our little finite minds. We can't grasp the fullness of God. We can't understand all the mysteries. And so, as a result of the fall, we tend to divide over them. So, for the record, denominations, you can't find the word in the Bible. It, it is a, a result of the fall, a limited ability to grasp the, um, the fullness of God. And in, 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 if your experience was like mine, um, I actually, I grew up with a bias against denominations for reasons like this. And also, just experientially, things I saw. I, um, I remember when I was in New Ulm, Minnesota, dating this girl, and, and she was in a different denomination. And when I would go to her church, even though I was a youth pastor, I wasn't welcome to participate in the Lord's Supper at their church. I could have snuck in, you know, up there if I didn't say anything and did the right movements, but, but it wasn't, it, I wasn't welcome to do so. And I remember thinking, wow, the price Jesus paid, the sacrifice that he did for, for the world, we can't celebrate this together. That didn't feel right. I remember after 9-11, um, a lot of the controversy surrounding different Christians who got in trouble for praying with other Christians from not from their denomination. Any of you remember that? Some of that stuff happening? And, and I just remember thinking, this is wrong. The people of God, we can't gather in prayer with one another because of our brand? That's crazy. At least it seemed crazy to me. I remember in, um, again, in New Ulm, Minnesota, when I, when I came in there and, and, want, and, and trying, I'd never been to this you know, town before, and, and so I come in, and I'm like, let's get together. I was a youth pastor, and let's get together. Let's try to unite to reach these teenagers. We could do so much more together than as these individual churches. And I was shocked by the resistance to churches working together over the common ground of trying to help teenagers. I, just, I remember that. So I have a bias against denominations. At least I had one. Um, if you had, have your Bible, let's open up to this passage today. Um, again, it apparently seems to go against what we're talking about. But uh, this is out of 1 Corinthians 10. This is a letter from a man named Paul. And there's a little irony that he's the one writing this. But he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So maybe that helped. Uh, well, maybe that helped. That was... We'll have to edit that out of the podcast. Okay, um, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, starting with 10, let's go 10 through 13 here. Well, just look, this doesn't look right in mine. Oh, that's because I'm in the wrong chapter. Uh, edit that out too. Usually I bookmark this stuff so that I'm not so sloppy up here. Get my bookmark in the wrong place. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians, verse 1, uh, starting with chapter 1, verse starting with verse 10. Okay, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you, what? Agree. That there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it's been reported to me, my Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? And then and he goes on, on from there. You know, I, I mentioned there's a little irony that Paul is the one writing this. Um, this is the same Paul who, who uh, opposed Peter right to Peter's face. This is the same um, Paul who had such a dispute over this guy named Mark that he parted ways with another believer. And when you think of the significance of that, 
that really speaks to our condition as humans. You know, that three people who the Spirit invo- uh, um, inspired to write books of the Bible, that they didn't always see eye to eye on things, and that they had disputes, and they had divisions. You know, maybe that's why the Spirit prompted Paul to, to write these things. And the division in, in God's people, it's only gotten worse throughout history since the first century. It's been around since, you know, Cain and Abel, but, well, Adam and Eve, actually. But it, it, it's been around the set, but it's only gotten worse. It, I had a really hard time tracking down a single figure when, when they try to count up how many Christian denominations are there. Numbers range. Um, one of the numbers I saw most consistently um, quoted was 33,300 and, no, 33,000, make sure I get this right, 30, 33,820 Christian denominations. Some of them put it as high as 100,000 different brands of Christianity. That is crazy. You know, and I remember on Friday as I'm sitting there waiting um, for, and this room is filling up full of people, I remember thinking, think about this. Here, here are these people coming together, delegates, hundreds of delegates representing 100, what's it, 400,000 people. The power of this. What if, Christians, what if we were having a meeting representing all 2 billion of us? Think how God would honor and bless that if we could work together and pray together as God's people. How powerful that would be instead of 33,820 or 100,000 or somewhere in between. It's, it's, it's crazy. So I throw all this out as the disclaimer that I have a bias against denominations and they're there as a product of the fall and our, and our short-sightedness um, and limited abilities as, as people. But one of the things that drew me to the covenant, ironically, is this division that exists. That's one of the things that, that drew me there. Um, their emphasis on maintaining and working towards unity in Christ. They never set out to become a separate denomination. In fact, one, as I've been trying to learn more about these folks, because I knew nothing about them um, coming in, uh, one of the verses that I've seen quoted more than any other verse in covenant writings and covenant literature that go all the way back to their beginning is this one out of Psalm 119, uh, verse 63. I am a companion of all who fear you, in a healthy, good way. Um, I'm a companion of all who fear you, God, of those who keep your precepts. I see that quoted all the time, and that really seems to be a mark of these people that we're walking with. They don't just give lip service to that. They really work towards unity in Christ, really work together towards that. Um, and this is one of the reasons why still today, such a diverse of people, diverse group of people, find a common home in the covenant. Um, the covenant is a great place. If you come from a, a, a situation where you have a Baptist husband and a Catholic wife, this is one of the places you can find some common ground. It's one of the places if you've got um, friends who are Lutheran and friends who are Pentecostal, you can, you can find common ground. Um, I was thinking about even some of the stuff they've done right here in the Twin Cities. If, if some of you are familiar with Woodland Hills Church and North Heights Church, those are two churches I've, I've done stuff with, the Covenant has done significant work with both of them. And they are almost opposite politically. They're so different in practice and a lot of different beliefs. And if you can partner deeply with, with those two diverse churches, that, that says something about your denomination. So you know, Methodists, Independence Reformed, they, one of the things that's neat is they can, you can find a home in the covenant without compromising deeply held beliefs about baptism, about end times, about spiritual gifts, about a lot of these very controversial issues. You can, you can find this common ground. It's why on, on Friday I shared the stage with 
people from pastors from Taiwan, Latin America, the Congo, India, Japan. It was interesting watching how they, different ones, even how they, when they would introduce, there was a lot of this, you know. I thought that that's just a caricature, but no, that's, that's like what you do. And they had this sweet, a guy from Sweden was there representing some Swedish churches, and his Minnesotan accent, he spoke in English, was better than ours. It was, I didn't totally get it that that's where that came from, was like the Minnesotan, he could, he could really do it. Um, yeah. It was, it was good. So anyway, that, what's so neat is that it's, the, the focus is on what unites us. But what's so cool, it's not just what unites us as humans, what unites us under the framework of Scripture. With the Bible as our clear guide, what unites us. And I love that, because you can find people who work towards unity, but, well, the Bible, some of that's outdated. No, no, it's not outdated. And so they're able to work within the, the, the boundaries of, of Scripture. And ironically, the very value, the value of Christian unity, is one of the reasons why the covenant ended up forming the covenant. This is extremely short. At some other time, I can go into more detail. But the short version is, in the, um, the late 1800s, early 1900s, there was a massive immigration from Europe. Massive. And in Sweden, um, where a lot of our roots come from in the covenant, in Sweden, one in seven people migrated, immigrated to the, to the U.S., one in seven. And so a number of these folks um, were now, well, now what? Because in Sweden, everybody had to be Lutheran. The state told you you had to be Lutheran. And so when these people come to the new world, you can be whatever you want to be. And, and there was a lot of people pulling at you. And one of the reasons the covenant ended up having to form the covenant is what they found was everybody that they talked to when they realized we can do more together, we need to unite with other brothers and sisters, it was Jesus plus or Bible plus. With these folks, they said, we're not going to exclude anyone from membership who, who, does, who has two qualities. One is, I have a personal faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the covenant is a believer's church. You know, and so you have a personal faith in Jesus. But a lot of folks, it was, well, you have to have personal faith plus. You, you believe in Jesus and you get baptized as an adult. Or you believe in Jesus and you sign on to this creed. They're like, we can't, we can't tell someone that. We can't exclude brothers and sisters on that basis. And then the other one was Bible plus they ran into. That they said the only, our only doctrine, our only absolute guide of, of faith and, and practice is the Bible. And what they found was uh, everyone else that they talked to had Bible plus. Well, yeah, Bible plus what so-and-so says about the Bible. Or Bible plus this creed. And so when they found that combination, they didn't set out to be their own thing, but, but it was actually unity that ended up, one of the things that ended up them saying we should be, um, we need to form something different. So now let's get a little bit more to the biblical basis of, of some of the stuff we're talking about here. Let's put this up. I, I think there are two strong biblical principles that lead, lead churches, at least in the here and now, to joining a denomination. Why are we doing that? Why didn't we just go independent? Because there's a whole lot of churches who just say, you know what, I'm going to be Christian. I'm not going to follow a tag. Here's why I'm not comfortable with that. One, I believe the Bible talks about unity over and over. I I don't believe it does. Um, Unity is central to God's character and our witness. This, um, if we could, if there was, it should be divided up. Here's a scripture um, that speaks to that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is what? One. That's one of the most foundational scriptures in all of scripture. Your heroes are the Lord your God. The Lord is one. That sets the stage for everything else. 
Um, another passage out of John 17, 23, that they might be perfectly one. This is Jesus praying this. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know you sent me. Look at the implications there. How does the world know that God sent them? In part by their unity. And when we're divided, what does that say to the world? Oh, thank you. Um, uh, here, and the, and the last one here. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of us all. You can go throughout the scripture. This, this principle of unity is so, so, so primary. And yes, is our primary allegiance to Jesus Christ and not to the covenant Yes, absolutely. If we ever put the banner of the covenant higher than, than the banner of our allegiance to Jesus Christ, we have missed the boat. We are completely wrong. If we ever start excluding others and saying that, well, because you're not covenant, you're, you don't have it as right as us, that, that's just wrong. Of course, that's, that's first and foremost. But we should be working towards unity. And what does that look like? What does unity in Christ look like? It doesn't look like everybody doing their own thing. You know, and we had spent a number of, quite a bit of time as we were talking about membership with our church, trying to make the case that individual people, if you're going to live out what the Bible says, you can't do that by yourself. You can be a Christian as an individual, but you can't, you can't live out what the Bible says to live out unless you're doing it one another. And we tried to make a strong case to say every believer should find a church family for accountability, to grow, all these things, to, to live out your thing. I, the more I look at the scripture, the more I think every individual church should find a family of churches for a lot of the same reasons. That actually leads us into the second scriptural principle that I want to look at here today. Why are we joining a domination? Unity. Like we just talked about, it's central to God's character and witness. Secondly, covenant relationships connected, strong connected, in it together relationships are essential to our maturity and our mission. That is true as individuals and I think that is true as groups of individuals. That this idea of covenant, here's a couple of scriptures. Um, uh, Complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not look only to their own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here's a couple more scriptures um, along that theme of, of covenant um, and what, why it's important. Go and make disciples of all nations, says Jesus, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I've commanded you. On that point, how can you do that independently? We have to do that together. And look at Mark uh, 3. 25, if a house is divided against itself, that house can't stand. No wonder it's been so easy to push around the church. You know, because a house divided cannot stand. Um, one of the reasons first covenanters, the, the first covenanters um, became the first covenanters was because they started out as mission friends. And they realized we can do more together than we can separately. In addition to this idea of unity, they realized we can do more together. And they started linking together to do things. 
You know, we were, were, they were believers who were trying to proclaim, live out the message and mission of Jesus. What they discovered, they could do more together. They could train leaders better together. They could plant churches and send out missionaries more effectively. They could learn from each other. I'm going to pick up on that point next week. Um, they could learn from each other, and they could better guard against false teaching and corruption. On that point, this was... When I'm looking at, at, at in black and white, and I'm seeing it says... There are 33,820 denominations. I'm looking at that, and I'm thinking, if you can't find a fit theologically in 33,820 denominations, none of those fit you? (laughs) That should concern you. You're probably not the only one that's got it right. You know? And, And secondly, in this fallen world, and this is strong language, but I feel strong enough for this. It is recklessly, recklessly arrogant to position yourself outside of real accountability as an individual, as a group of individuals. It is recklessly arrogant to position yourself outside of real accountability. And on top of all that else, there's the practical stuff of living out the Great Commission, of doing things together and being more effective at that. Um, it, was, it was neat. Uh, yesterday they had this family festival down at um, Raspberry Island. Neat place. It was really cool. And they had this festival, and um, this Mike Brown who had up there, he was, he was helping out with tickets up on the screen earlier. And, and he came up afterwards, he's talking and, 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 and sharing, and he, he had asked me, can you cover for me? We have a pastor's meeting about once a month. And he said, can you cover for me at the meeting because I have to go and, and, and go to this other meeting. And guess what they're going to be doing? They, 45 denominations, for the first time I know of in history, 45 denominations are coming together to talk about church planting, what God is doing, sharing ideas, letting go of their denomination. I'm getting chills talking about this. Letting go of their denominational boundaries, letting go of their, their company secrets, putting it out there. How can we work together? How can we seize what God is doing? How can we seek God? 45 denominations. Absolutely. And I think about this. Let's say you're an independent church and you can get 45 churches together. How cool would that be? But 45 denominations representing millions of people. What can happen with that? Just practically carrying out the Great Commission. What if you know, we could work more together? So that's why even if you're in a group, a group of groups, it's a lot more than a group of individuals. So I could go on all afternoon, but all this to say, my perception has changed greatly. My perception hasn't changed that they, they're a result of the fall, that denominations are a result of the fall and our limited abilities as individuals. That hasn't changed. What has changed is, if you're starting out a new church, find other brothers and sisters to walk with and to enter into a real covenant with. Okay, so there's all of that background, all the disclaimers, some of the rationale for why. Now... Why the covenant? You know, where do you start your search? If you're, if you're going to be a new church and you're going to start your search, where do you start? Do you just make a spreadsheet with 33,820 things? And here's all the pros and cons and here's the dog with the least fleas. You know, what, what do you, what, is that how you do it? Well, that, that, wasn't, that wasn't what I did. Um, what I did is I, I didn't have language for it at the time, but now I call it my, I, my two, two brown M&M approach. Two brown M&M's. Some of you guys may have heard this before I did. I, just, I recently um, heard the story. Any 80s reference I can work in, I'll work it in. Um, I heard about uh, 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 something that happened with the band Van Halen. 
Something that, and this is this was in Fast Company they, magazine. They said this is true. Here's if you're not familiar with Van Halen, there's the lead front man there, uh, <laughs> David Lee Roth, and all his spandex, big haired glory. Uh, might as well jump, David Lee Roth. All right, so David Lee Roth back in the '80s, they were one of the hottest bands there was, and they were going on tours all over the place, and their tours were a big deal. Their tours were a big deal. They had what was it, nine 18 wheelers of gear that would pull up to this venue, and they would only have the short amount of time to get nine 18-wheelers of everything all set up perfectly. If they didn't, then he's going to jump, and a pyro's going to go up, and it's going to blow him up. You know, you, you, you got to get it right. It's, it's hard. So they had this contract that was like this thick. And one of the things they caught a lot of flack for was in this clause, this thick, Article 126 said, and I quote, there will be no brown M&Ms in the backstage area upon forfeiture of the show with full compensation. <laughs> Article 126 said, if you have, we want a bowl of M&Ms, a clear bowl of M&Ms, and if there's any brown M&Ms in there, we can walk away, and you owe us all the money. And so, of course, this took off, and they're like, I don't know if they had the word diva back there and if they applied it to guys, but if they did, they would have, right? And so all this is going all around. Everybody's like, I can't believe Van Halen. How vain are they to, to, to say you have to take out all the brown M&Ms? Well, later they interviewed him. Here's why he did that. He said, if, we, if, if they didn't read this thing cover to cover, there was going to be problems. You're going to blow a fuse. You're going to have explosions going off. You know, all this kind of stuff. is. There's going to be problems if you don't do everything in there. So what they did is they embedded this M&M clause. And so David Lee Roth would come. He would look at the bowl of M&Ms. No brown M&Ms. All right, we're good. Let's do the, just the standard sound checks. If there were brown M&Ms in that bowl, that to him said, there's other stuff going on. Who would have thought David Lee Roth was brilliant? <laughs> you would, all right. Might as well do. All right, so... What, what I had going in was I had two brown M&Ms. My brown M&M number one was a brown M&M of faith. Um, if we could put up the James uh, 226. When I went looking for, for a church home, as it became clear, God was calling me to, to, to start something. Um, I, I'm like, I, I had less than zero interest in, in going independent um, for some of the reasons I've already put out there. Um, and so what I did, I, I start with James 226. I wanted to find faith and works. You, if either one is missing, there's, there's a problem. This is why I have two M&Ms instead of one. Um, if, if they don't have good theology, that's a problem. And that's kind of how I looked at faith. The works part, if they don't look like Jesus, and these people just, all they do is talk about right beliefs, but their actions aren't God-honoring, <coughs> I'm not going to sign on with them either. So I have a faith brown m M&M, I have a um, works brown M&M to kind of give me a starting point. And my, my faith M&M was um, the issue of baptism. I believe that, that baptism tells, how, how a denomination deals with baptism tells you a lot about how they'll deal with everything else, theologically. Because baptism is one of these things that in the scripture is both clear and unclear. It's, it's, and so it creates this, this controversy. The Bible is clear that Christians should be baptized. You get past that, it gets a little foggier. The Bible is not clear 
about how much water to use. The Bible is not clear about what age you baptize or what rituals you use. So how does a denomination deal with that? You know, and, and you have this issue of baptism or other issues where over the course of hundreds of years, intelligent, God-seeking, Bible-believing, spirit-filled, the, these folks, they look at the same text and they come to different conclusions. And how does the denomination deal with that? Do they, do they look, does the denomination say, well, here's one verse that answers it all? Do they say, well, here's what so-and-so said about it, so that's what we go with? Does the denomination um, encourage you to go into the Bible and to wrestle with these texts? Or does it just say, go with the party line? Does the denomination say, you know, the Bible is outdated, and so here's how we make decisions now? What does the denomination do? And what the denomination does with a controversial thing like baptism will be the same type of thing that it does with spiritual gifts, with end times, with other predestination, with some of these other topics that are both clear and controversial. And what I found as I started looking in the covenant was unique. It was surprisingly unique. I thought I was going to find at least a, a handful of denominations that, um, that, that wrestled with baptism that way. Um, but I found they were unique. They were unique in the sense that they are far from wishy-washy. Far from it. They are a people of the book. But what I, what I found was they really held true to Psalm 119, 63. I'm a companion of all who fear you, of those who keep your precepts. And what is wonderful about the covenant is that the age you were baptized or how much water you used will not keep you out of any covenant church. I found that to be really refreshing. Nor will your specific beliefs about end times, spiritual gifts, predestination, or a host of other controversial topics, as long as you profess a personal faith in Jesus Christ and you accept and affirm the Bible as the only perfect rule of faith and conduct. Um, the covenant, as well as any family of churches I've seen, is able to live in the tension of what I call humble orthodoxy. If we can put this quickly up on the screen. Um, here's, we could go all over the Bible... To, um, to, to give illustration to this. But here in the book of Titus is just one example. The both and of what I call humble orthodoxy. This is from Titus 1. It says, appoint elders. Paul is giving instruction to churches. That's important. Instruction to leaders in churches. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. He must, this elder must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in what? sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right, that's the orthodoxy. That orthodoxy is a, is a word that talks about the, the fundamental Christian beliefs that you can trace back. It is strong. We, we, ha, we are to be orthodox. We, in fact, should be able to rebuke unsound doctrine. You don't just believe whatever you want to believe. There is some stuff that is right. There is some stuff that is wrong. There's a category of that. And we should be able to have sound doctrine. But... What else does it say in the same book? But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. So this both and of having sound doctrine, but having a humility that says in these areas where God-fearing, truth-seeking, Bible-believing, spirit-filled people disagree, Let's talk together. 
Let's reason together. Let's go into the scriptures together. And it may be that we agree to disagree. All right, so that's faith. Let's talk real briefly about works. This is what we'll be closing on here. Um, Of all of the works, all of the behavioral things I could look at first, the one I jumped to was, do I see Christ-likeness in these people? There's a whole lot of things I could have picked. You know, do they vote the way I vote? Do they care for the poor the way I think they should care for the poor? Can they sing every Chris Tomlin song with their eyes all the way closed? You know? That, those aren't the things I started with. Surprise, right? Um, what I started with was Christ-likeness because I believe that is the end game of everything else. That's the end game of every other behavior. An instruction in the Bible, is it making you more like Jesus? Individually, is it making you more like Jesus? And then corporately, as his body, are you becoming more like Jesus? So, for example, take a quality like spirit-filled. Being spirit-filled is essential. The spirit has led us every step of the way. The spirit led us to this covenant thing. The spirit gave us our name. The spirit led us to Chippewa Middle School. The spirit led us here. Being spirit-filled is essential, but what is the primary work of the spirit in us? to transform us into Christ-likeness. That's the end game. And, and so that's why I didn't start with other visible manifestations of the Spirit and the denomination, you know? Or other things. Um, why I think there's no behavior, behavioral brown and better in Christ-likeness. You know, if people are becoming, if that's in place, the other things are probably there. If you're becoming more like Christ, the Spirit's at work in your life. If you're becoming like Christ, or if, you, if you're attentive to God's commands... You're becoming more like Christ. If you care about the poor, you're becoming more like Christ. If you're spreading the gospel, if I beat this dead horse now, okay, I got it. All right, and none of us do this perfectly, but I've, I've never met a group corporately where I see this more consistently. You know, on my keychain, I have the Rice Creek Covenant Church key. And they didn't know me at all. They, they, in a lot of ways, they should be threatened. They're, they're a church that had just gone through a lot of transition. At the time, they didn't even have a lead pastor. You know, and they had just gone through a, a really tough time. And yet, when we got, we, we at, at Chippewa Middle School were birthing this new church and God was doing this wonderful new thing, they literally gave the key to their place so that we could use it for youth ministry. We just had a wedding there last weekend. You know, here are these churches that are opening their doors to us. You know, um, I think of the, this festival we were at yesterday. Here are the, the biggest names in our denomination serving everybody else. They're taking tickets. There's our conference superintendent. He wasn't very good at it, you know. <laughs> um, but he was, he was trying his best to make change and get these tickets out to everybody, and he kept talking too much, and so the line would back up. And it was, but, but, but the cool thing was, here he is. I, I just have so much admiration for that, that there he is serving and I think of um, the president of our covenant, um, a guy named Gary Walter. He is so Christ-like, this guy. I, um, I had to go to Denver for something, a, a covenant thing. And so I'm trying to save some money. And if you've ever, how many of you have flown into Denver Airport before, right? And you go to Denver, Denver Airport, way over there. Denver downtown, way over there. And so the only way to get to the town is you have to shuttle or cab or something. And so I'm trying to save some money. I go with this super shuttle. I shouldn't use their name. I go with this shuttle service. <laughs> this unnamed, edit that one. Whoa. I went with this unnamed shuttle service. And I'm sure they're great all the other times, but this one time, um, they, they had a, a anyway, it was, it was tough. I, it, it, it was the longest process I've ever had 
um, to get from point A to point B. It literally, and I'm not exaggerating, it took me as much time to get from the Denver airport to Denver as it did for me to get from Minnesota to Denver airport. I'm not... It was so they pack us into this thing. There's like 15 of us in all our gear, adults, you know, in this little van. The guy doesn't speak really English. And the Viking Saints game was on that night. I'm like, can you get the thing on? No, I, you know, I, I don't can't understand. So we're, we're we're like, and it was my problem, right? Not his. And and so, so anyway, we I just have this nightmare, and I'm thinking I will hitchhike before I will ever take this thing again. Well, on the way back, I paid for a round trip by mistake. Um, I paid for a round trip, and I'm trying to get from the hotel back to the airport. And of course, this thing is packing up, but this time I'm like, I will be early. I, I, get, I had shotgun seat. I'm like, oh, at least this is good, and Vikings aren't playing, all that. So, so I'm in the, in the van. I'm, we're going to head back, and there's only one spot left, and it's six inches of the front you know, bench seat. And here comes Gary Walter. I'm thinking, first of all, why are you taking this? Why aren't you taking a limo? Because you're Gary Walter. But that's the guy he is. And of course, the guy he is, he doesn't even bat bat an eye. I'm going to sit on the six inches of bench seat. And had he not been the person he is, a Christ-like guy, I would have been, you are going to sit on that bench seat, and I'm going to be loving every minute of it as you're sitting on that bench seat, because you need to learn a lesson in Christ-likeness. But he didn't need to learn a lesson in Christ-likeness. That's how I am with you know, other folks like that. Um, they got to learn a lesson. I'm already over time. i got to keep go quick. They, some people need to learn a lesson in humility. And, and I'm more than happy to teach them. Because um, you guys teach me every week. All right. Somebody does. So, so, so what goes around comes around. Okay. So i got to wrap this up. So, um, so, but, but that's the kind of guy he is. And so, sure enough, you know, I offer him up the seat, and it was just fun to, to, to watch him interact, just in a quiet, meek, Christ-like way, how he's really, he's asking real questions of these people next to him. You could tell he really cared about them and their families, people he'd never met. It, it's neat. And, and, and this is what I consistently see happening among these brothers and sisters. I see Christ-likeness. Let me give you one last story, and then let's wrap, let's close with a song. Um, on Friday morning at this, this meeting we were at, this is a business meeting, remember? But they open up every business meeting with, with prayer and praise songs. Great way to start a meeting. And up in front, they have Eskimos leading us in Eskimo praise songs. And then after the Eskimo praise song, this, this guy gets up, and he called himself an Eskimo. I don't know if it's politically correct, but he used the word, so I'll use it. Um, his name is Curtis. And Curtis gets up, and he starts sharing this, this story of a guy in the 1800s with the last name of Carlson who hops on a boat in San Francisco and heads to Alaska. He only speaks Swedish and Russian, and his Russian isn't very good. And he's heading up to Alaska because he believed Jesus was leading him to Alaska. So he goes up to Alaska. He doesn't know anybody, has no contacts. He just starts building relationships, finds himself on a boat heading nor- further north with 17 Eskimos, 14 dogs, and a bunch of walrus skins. And so he gets to this village. He starts just acting like Jesus is acts and, and starts building relationships, meets a guy named Stefan. Stefan spoke a little bit of Russian. He spoke a little bit of Russian. They start talking. Stefan becomes a believer. Stefan becomes the translator then to the, to the people in this village. The village, God starts to work in this village, and God does a move of, of himself in Alaska. Well, the story has a whole lot more, but, but it, here's one piece of it. This guy, Curtis, was a like, great-great-grandson or whatever of Stefan. 
And so here he is sharing this story and how God's using him now. And he goes to this other village, Stephen, or not Stephen, but uh, Curtis, finds himself in a village now 100 years later. He's in this village, and he gets welcomed into this home. And he starts talking with the people, and as he's talking to the people, he said, what's your last name? And he said, it's Ivanko. And they said, are you related to Stephen Ivanko? And he says, yeah, I am. That was my great-great-grandfather. She said, well, let me tell you about my great-great-grandmother. She was a widow, and she had these kids, and no one would take them in. But guess who took them in? Stephen Ivanko. Because he was doing what Jesus said to do, care for the widow and orphan. And that family in Alaska, what would they have done otherwise? These are the brothers and sisters that we're a part of. And as I mentioned earlier, I mean, I originally thought denominations, it was going to be to find the worst of, the best of the worst, because it's a fallen thing. But I have found myself inspired. I have found myself challenged. And I think the more you get to know these folks, you will too. In, the back of, uh, in your notes, I have some, um, some different resources. You can look at the Covenant websites. Um, I have a brochure in the back of the feature table that says, what does the Covenant believe? Um, there's some just different resources. I have to get to know these folks that we're now walking in partnership with. I'm sorry I went long today. Let's, let's close with the song. And what I want to do is to close with the song is not a song that says, I love the Covenant. It's about Christ. Let's close with a song about Christ that is Christ the solid rock that we stand on. Um, any denomination is going to have its shortcomings. Any denomination is going to have its failings. But any denomination that's doing what it's supposed to do is going to be helping us fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. So let's do that as we close. So let me pray. Father, um, we do pray that you help us always to fix our eyes on you. And Lord, we thank you that you were wise enough to teach us that we should not be arrogantly going out there on our own, but we should humbly be partnering with others who call you, Lord, as we seek to follow you. So, Lord, may we profess that now as we pray, as we, uh, we sing this, this song in Jesus' name.